to consider that. This morning, guys, we have a tremendous privilege to have Dave Ogren here. I've known Dave probably for 25 years. He is a burning heart, a great preacher. You will find that out soon. And he's had a heart for missions, and the mission that he's doing, he'll probably share a little about it, is one of the most influential, impactful missions movements around the world right now. And um, it is such an honor, David, for us to have you here today. Could you give a big welcome to Dave Ogren? Thank you, brother. Thank you too much. Thank you so much. Do, you, do we have that on for sure? Yeah, I think okay. so. I think we're good. water right under the Yeah. Good morning. Hey, it's good to be here today. And uh, thank you, Pastor Tom, for inviting me to come. Um, this is my first time, actually, to speak at City Church, so it's a, it's a real honor. Um, I represent a ministry uh, based in Finland. Um, it's called Great Commission Media Ministries. Our, our calling is seed planting. We, we, we saturate cities with the gospel through life stories. And basically what we do, we do three things, okay? Very quickly, we do three things. We do what's called media evangelism, media evangelism campaigns. We've done almost 100 cities now to date all over the world. Basically, we gather churches together cross-denominationally that have invited the, us to come to their city. Um, we, we help them, we coach them in discovering 20 to 30 of the best testimonies, life stories from their culture, of course, in their language, from their city, rich, poor, well-known, maybe a sports figure, maybe a member of parliament, maybe a musician, uh, maybe a single mom on crack cocaine, all kinds of testimonies. And then we do documentaries on each one of those people's lives. So at the end of the day, we have 20 to 30 life stories that are camera ready for television. And then we purchase television time on secular television because our goal is not to preach to the choir, but to reach people who don't know anything about Jesus. And so every night for a month, we have um, a, a television program on secular television, prime time, every night, every night, every night. At the bottom of each life story is a website and a phone number. There's no preaching. There's no plea for, for money. All it is is somebody's story of how their life was transformed by Jesus Christ. The phone number is connected to a local call center, so we train hundreds of people, in some places thousands of people, to staff a call center 24 hours a day, seven days a week during the month of programming. And then we also train hundreds or thousands of people to actually do follow-up. We use a book. This is the book that we use all over the world. It happens to be the book, um, one of the books we did in Finland. It's got life stories in it. Uh, from the particular city that we're in, and, and, and very simple evangelism, discipleship materials. And so we train people from, from neighborhoods from all over the city how to take this book and to go into people's homes who have called into the call center. Because the goal is everyone who calls into the call center is hand-delivered this book. Our goal is to get our foot in the door for four to five weeks and be able to go through the book with them. We've seen thousands and thousands and thousands of people come to Christ through this process. Praise God. Very simple. Not complex, really simple stuff. And so uh, this last year, Beirut, Lebanon, 
Uh, we had 30,000 people call into the call centers, all being followed up by the very few churches there are in Beirut, Lebanon, 58 churches in Beirut, Lebanon, and they're following up 30,000 people. So pray, pr- pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ there. Uh, at the end of our campaign, we did a three-day live um, uh, evangelism services in a 1,500-seat auditorium. It was packed to the doors. Uh, state television came to our Lebanese pastors that were in charge of this and said, we want to we wanna show this live to the nation. They said, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> you got to know what this is. This is not just life stories now. You've seen the life stories. We're going to do life stories. But besides that, there's going to be Christian music. There's going to be Christian preaching by our Lebanese pastors. We're going to have altar calls. We're going to be inviting people to come to Christ right during our services. They said, we know that's good. Let's do it. For three nights, they showed our two and a half hour programs live to the nation. So, so praise be unto God. It was a really, really wonderful gift. Um, uh, following that, we did a campaign in, in Colombo, Sri Lanka. You probably know Tissu Wersinga and, and, and pastors a large church. He was, he, was, he was involved in our campaign there. We had over 750 churches in, in, in Sri Lanka involved, Buddhist nation. And we had, I think, 58,000 people call into the call centers. So, um, amazing outreach. So that's the first thing that we do. We do that all over the world. We've done 30 cities in Russia. We've done uh, five cities in India, uh, two in Nepal, just kind of all over the place. Second part of our ministry is we have television studios in Finland. and, And every day, every day, we do programs in Arabic and Farsi. We bring people from, from all over Europe who, who, who are Arabic and Farsi speakers, all right, uh, that are from those cultures, and they come in and they do programming. They preach, they teach, they do music. You'll, you'll see it just briefly here in just a minute. Um, we do 850 programs a year. They're all uplinked to satellite television, 15 different satellite networks that are, that's all targeting the Islamic world. We get one to two million hits a month from the Islamic world from, from our, from our um, satellite broadcasting. So it's, it, it's a marvelous outreach to the Islamic world. The third part of our ministry is we are the only Christian ministry that has access to 70 children's prisons in Russia. There's kids between the ages of 10 and 17. 20,000 boys are in these 70 prisons, 300 per prison. They're, they're in prison uh, from 10 to 17, from everything from stealing bread to murder. Uh, one of our Russian guys stumbled onto one of these prisons. Uh, surprisingly, they're kind of hidden away and uh, saw the horrific conditions. About eight years ago, we began to do humanitarian aid into these prisons. New, new uniforms we contracted with the women's prison system. They sewed new uniforms, uh, uh, f- fresh fruit and vegetables, which they weren't getting much of, uh, underwear, socks, Deodorant, toothpaste, all that kind of stuff. And, and after a number of years of just helping them with humanitarian aid, um, the commanders actually came to our Russian guys and said, would you like to talk to the boys? So now our boys, our, our, our men uh, in, in Russia are actually going in and preaching the gospel in these prisons and seeing hundreds of these boys come to Christ. So it's amazing, amazing outreach. <laughs> I've got newsletters in the back, and uh, love to have you pick one up. Um, also, uh, if you're interested, uh, sign up. Happy to send you one on a monthly basis. So when it comes, you just pray for our ministry. Just take 10 seconds to pray for what we're doing around the world. Um, about two years ago, um, 
Hanu Hauka, the founder of our ministry, received a call from Andrew Grabovenko, the Pentecostal Bishop of Russia. And he said, we're having a sovereign move of God in Russia. Thousands of people are coming to Christ, not because of, of Reinhard Bonnke or some other great ministry, not because of Alpha Program or something else, but just a sovereign move of God. People are wide open to the gospel, uh, and, and the Russian Christians were, were just diligent in, in, in doing door-to-door street evangelism, neighborhood evangelism, etc., seeing thousands of people come to Christ. He said, we need good follow-up material. We know your stuff. You've done 30 cities in Russia. Could you do um, a book that would have life stories in it across all 11 time zones from, from uh, Siberia to Moscow? And Hanu said, yeah, we could do that. Um, how many do you need? He said, I need a million copies. So, so we, we printed a million copies of these in Siberia two years ago. A year ago, he calls back to us and says, they're all gone. We've planted a thousand new churches in Russia, and uh, the Baptist Union, which is the other largest um, um, Christian uh, uh, denomination in Russia said, we also want to use this book. And so he said, he said, we need more books. We're all out of books. We need your help. Could we have more books? Yes. How many do you need? Five million. So now we've printed another four million copies of, this, of, of these books in Siberia, and they have already been distributed all over Russia and being used. Now, now the importance of this is God knew, of course, what was going to happen. July 7th, Vladimir Putin signed a new law uh, into law on July 7th. And basically, this is called an anti-terrorism law. It is not an anti-terrorism law. It is an anti-evangelical law because basically the, the gist of the law says it is now illegal in Russia. The law is going back all the way back to 1929. It is now illegal for local churches like this to invite people to come forward to receive Christ. You can no longer do that in Russia. Home churches are no longer allowed in Russia. You cannot even read your Bible in your home if there is an unbeliever in your home. They can have you arrested by doing, for, for doing that. So, so the laws overnight have shifted dramatically in Russia. Pastors are already being um, arrested uh, for, for doing things like having a home Bible study. So um, things are dramatically changing. God knew what was going to happen in Russia. God knew the changes. You haven't heard much of this on the news. They don't, they don't talk much about this. But the reality is, is that, is that where there is great darkness, the light shines best, right? And, and, so, and so we are going to see uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ continue to go forward in Russia. Um, the um, Christian lawyers in Russia have, have communicated with our guys and said, we've got a window of four to six months before the law is fully implemented. So what we're doing now is, is, is we're printing Bibles like crazy because, um, because so many people came to Christ, they're having a hard time finding Bibles. So we've printed 150,000 full Bibles, about um, 500,000 New Testaments, and about a million Gospels of John in Russia so far. We want to double those numbers between now and four months from now. So please pray with us that God will help us to do this in helping our brothers and sisters in Christ in Russia. We'll, we'll just show the, a, a two-minute video real quick, and then I'll come back and preach. Thanks.
75% of the world's population will be in cities by 2020. Does the church have a strategy to reach the people in their big cities? If they don't, the Great Commission will never be finished. We're not talking about rocket science here. We're talking about simple tools to reach the world for Christ. But it works. We've gone into each city intensively for 30 days working closely with the churches on the ground. A symphony of media. 30 days saying that God gives you the power to change. Call this number. Everyone that calls the number, they get a 100-page tailor-made book for that city containing the most powerful testimonies of how God changed lives. Primetime television every night back-to-back for 30 days. Same thing for radio. Billboards, buses, trains... The amazing thing is, is that these countries are not able to control satellite television. And so we are able to come in with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the clear way into these countries, reaching an audience of of over 100 million people in places in the Middle East and Northern Africa and the Arabic Gulf and Asia. end up in prison and the whole reason why they are there is because there's nobody at home loving them feeding them taking care of them there is no mother and father but the colonel said the words that you spoke today about jesus christ has meant more to these boys than the clothes you're talking about their future lives and the reward of knowing that we have been instrumental in leading thousands millions of people to Jesus Christ and reaching our generation in a way that we probably could never have done alone but together we're doing it and you are sending us Bibles this morning, turn to Luke chapter 17. Um, I'm going to take you on a personal journey today. This is not a teaching that I got out of a book or, or even just, just out of basic study. Um, what I'm going to share in about a half hour, uh, so this is going to be kind of a fire hose this morning, but, but um, what I'm going to share with you today is, is, is something that God actually worked in my life over a period of, of, of some years, not, not days, months, but years. So um, uh, this is a part of my story and a part of what God has done in my life. So uh, let's just pray. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you, God, for, for this house. I thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being here today. And, and God, I believe that you've laid this upon my heart for this morning because... We all need forgiveness. And we all need to give forgiveness. And I I just pray that God, this would not be a message, but you would use your word to transform our lives by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke 17, 1, he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but what are the one through whom they come? It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than to cause one of these little ones to, to, to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. 
If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in the, in, in, in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Verse 5, the apostle said, increase our faith. <laughs> yeah, you and me both. All right. So forgiveness is a, is a central biblical message. God has taken the initiative towards us in relationship to forgiveness. Uh, in relationship to forgiveness. If only we will come. If only we will repent, forgiveness can be ours. We, we just experienced communion this morning. Wonderful. Praise be unto God. Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, so far as God removed our transgressions from us. All right? You can go north, you'll, you'll eventually go south. You go east, and, and, and you'll never go west. So, so it's from eternity to eternity. God removes our sin from us. Isaiah 43, I am he who blots out your iniquity for my own sake. I will not remember. I will not commemorate. I will not establish an anniversary over your sin. So God doesn't say, I remember July 26, 1979. I know exactly what happened there. And I remember it every time July 26 comes around. God says, no, I don't do that. It's gone. How many are grateful? Praise God. Micah 7, who is a God like you pardoning iniquity? He will have compassion on us. He will tread down our iniquities, cast all our sin into the depths of the sea. I love that, tread down our our iniquities, because the word tread there means actually to put something under your foot and smash it until it's totally gone. And God wants to break the authority and the power of sin in our lives. 1 John 1, 9, we, we know it. If we confess... He is faithful and just because of the blood of Jesus to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Acts 26 is, is, is Paul's call um, and, and a call into ministry. And, and, and a part of his call was to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan to the power of God that they may receive forgiveness of sins. So... Um, what, what that tells me is that spiritual warfare actually precedes conversion or salvation. People's eyes have to be opened. God has to turn them from darkness to light so that they may receive forgiveness. You may have someone in your life like that right now. So forgiveness is, is central to our relationship to God. For, but, but forgiveness is as well central to all human relationships Every year in the U.S., excuse me, every year, 5,000 missionaries from the U.S. leave their field of service. High on the list as far as the reasons are marriage and family difficulties and unresolved interpersonal conflicts with team members and with nationals. So the issue of forgiveness, you know, is something that that we all deal with <laughs> all the time. It's, it's a reality. And, and in, in fact, um, Jesus says here in verse 2, it would be better that a stone was attached to your neck and you, you died a premature death than to cause someone to stumble. And, and the context of what Jesus is talking about here, obviously, is the issue of forgiveness. The gospel shouts reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 21 tells us that God is reconciling the world to himself in Christ. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. 
That message of reconciliation not only is, uh, means that you are a tool of God to bring um, people back to God, but, but you are also a tool to bring people back to people. The word reconciliation, cataliso, is, is, is actually to change mutually. A change on the part of one. A change on the part of one that is induced by the action of another. The change on the part of one induced by the action of another. So somebody's got to take the initiative. Somebody's got to build the bridge. Jesus has done that. God has done that. Now, God has called us to his own standard. John chapter 13, we know it, verse 34, a new commandment I've given unto you, that you would love one another. How? As I have loved you. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 says, be kind, forgiving, as God in Christ has forgiven you. We see the same thing in the book of Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12. This is a huge high bar. You can't jump over that bar. (laughs) You can't fulfill that. You can't do that. I can't do that. It's impossible. The Flawsbury flop will not work on this high bar. Some of you remember Dick Fosbury, 1968, Olympic uh, gold medalist, uh, jumped seven seven feet, four and a quarter inches. Derek uh, Drowan from, from Canada this year was the gold medalist. Uh, seven feet, nine inches, nine and three quarter inches. The record goes all the way back to 1993 with Javier Sotomayor from Cuba, eight feet, a quarter inch. Can you imagine eight feet uh, doing the high bar at eight feet? Well, you know, the, the high bar of forgiveness where God says, I want you to forgive as I forgive is like 20 feet. You, you can't do this. I can't do this. It's, it's, beyond, it's beyond our ability to forgive like God forgives. And so we are totally dependent upon the power of the Holy Spirit to fulfill what God has called us to do when it comes to the issue of forgiveness. And so God has reached out to us first. He's called us to do the same. God is the one who's built the bridge to forgiveness. He's called us to do the same. And so in verse 4... Of Luke chapter 17, the scripture talks about if your brother sins against you seven times in a day, uh, and if he repents, forgive him. Actually, uh, Peter brings it up again in Matthew chapter 18. Dave, come on up here for a second. Peter, um, Peter uh, speaks of it again in Matthew 18 when he, when he, when he asks Jesus the question, you know, are we really supposed to forgive people seven times in one day? And Jesus said, oh, by the way, no, 70. You know, it's kind of like, oh, my goodness, this is crazy. Okay, I just want to illustrate this with Dave. He, he knew I was going to do this. So, okay, so, so we are, we are uh, in the new st- stadium in Minneapolis. <clears throat> okay, and, and the Packers are playing the Vikings. Uh, I used to pastor in Minnesota, you know, so I'm still a Viking fan. Um, sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> All right, so, so, so the Vikings just got a touchdown, and I jump up and I step on Dave's foot, and I say, oh, uh, will you forgive me? I forgive you. Okay, great. 
Wasn't that nice? Yeah, so, so the game goes on. And now, now, now all of a sudden, the Vikings get another touchdown. It's 14 nothing, And, and, uh... <laughs> okay, so I, so I jump up and step, step on his foot again. I said, oh, Dave, I'm really sorry. Will you forgive me? I forgive you. Yeah, yeah, so this happens like, you know, now, now it's uh, 28 to nothing. You know, you know and I, I'm jumping up and I'm stepping on his foot. And, and what are you thinking? I'm a Packer fan. You're a Packer fan. What else are you thinking? You're starting to irritate me. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and, and there's this sense. You, you can sit down for a minute. And you're you're going to come up again. So, so uh, um, there's this sense where we begin to judge the motive. And the scripture says, if they repent, you don't have a right to judge the mo- motive. Ouch. You know. But, but, but 70 times in one day. All right. Our ultimate motivation for forgiveness is Matthew 6, verse, verse 14. If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Did you hear that? If you forgive, your Father will forgive you. Now, we could almost say that's a typo if we only hear it once. But, but in, in Matthew 18, Jesus tells a whole sto- parable in Matthew 18 that basically talks about the, the servant who is not willing to forgive another. You remember the story. So forgiveness is very significant to God. Luke 17, 1 to 4 is God's ideal for human relationships. This is how relationships are to remain healthy. This is, this is the plan that God has established, and if we follow it, it all works. Now, now we're going to take a look at it here for really quick this morning. So where, where does God start in this, in this process of forgiveness? Where does he start? He starts with offense. If your brother sins against you, I am really glad for that. He doesn't start with perfect relationships. He doesn't start with perfect people. He, start, he, he starts with people that get off on the wrong, wrong side of the bed. He starts with people who have bad attitudes. He starts with people who, who say things that they shouldn't say. How many can relate to any of that? The rest of you are lying. Okay. It's as common as breathing. We all, we all have created offense in relationship to people. And, and so Jesus moved from that. And Dave, you, you can come back up here. Um, if he sins, what are you supposed to do? What did, what did Jesus say you're supposed to do? No, 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 no. No, we don't forgive yet. What are we supposed to do after offense? Somebody offends you, what are you supposed to do? Rebuke them. Now, most of us, when we think of rebuke, we think of this. Right? How many respond very well to that? Do you, do, you, do you respond well to this? Like this? Huh? You respond well to that? No, I told him I was going to do this, so he knows it. So, so we don't respond well. But you know, that's not what it means to rebuke here. It really is a word that, 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 that has as its root the idea of the Holy Spirit, who what? Who comes alongside and points the right direction. And it's loving. It's gentle. It's peaceful. Confrontation that wants to restore relationship. This is what it means to rebuke. I can respond to that. I think you can too. Somebody comes alongside of me. 
shows me love, shows me compassion, shows me interest. But we just want to straighten this out. Man, we can do that. Thanks, Dave. You didn't do a great job. He didn't even hit me. I'm really glad. Okay, so, so, okay, so, so offenses happen. Now, we, we, we have, we have lovingly confronted. We, we are no longer living in the land of denial. We are not, we, we are not burying this. We're not bittering this. We're, we're using Holy Spirit courage. We're not I- ignoring the reality that this has happened. It's, it's like somebody has cancer and, well, I'm just going to ignore it. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. So, Offenses occurred, now we've rebuked. And then the scripture says, and if he repents, the person who is offended, the person who has been the offending person, if the offending person repents, forgive them. Listen to me. Full full forgiveness and reconciliation does not happen without a person in the wrong being willing to acknowledge their wrong, being willing to take responsibility for their wrong, and courageously humbling themselves with the intent to change. This is a huge roadblock for missionaries. This is a huge roadblock for pastors. I'm working with pastors all the time. And some pastors don't make it where they're at, and a lot of pastors don't make it where they're at simply because they were unwilling to acknowledge their wrong. They were unwilling to humble themselves and take responsibility for what they did. If those leaders would have simply said, you know, I blew it, I I said what I said, but it was wrong, please forgive me, you know, it would would have made all the difference in the world. It's the true, same, same thing, obviously, when it comes to families comes to the workplace. Somebody has to have the courage to take responsibility. Now, I'm going to have you practice this with me this morning, okay? I want you to turn to somebody. And if you don't have anybody right next to you, then um, uh, look behind you or look at the wall or something, okay? So, so, so practice this with me, will you? Okay. Are you ready? Okay. I was wrong. How'd that go? Okay, number two, I am sorry. Some of you need to say this because of what happened this morning. Will you forgive me? Okay, let's try it again. I was wrong. I am sorry. Will you forgive me? Now, the fact is, that wasn't that difficult, it wasn't that painful. Most of us were smiling in the process, right? I saw many of you. But some of you, maybe it was the first time in your life you actually said that. (laughs) It's difficult. It's difficult for us to humble ourselves. It's hard for us to take responsibility. But you know, the scripture is clear. God resists the proud. He gives grace. How many needs grace? I need grace every day, every day. He gives grace to the humble. Okay? When we stubbornly refuse to acknowledge our wrong, we're pleasing the devil and we grieve the Holy Spirit. How important it is. So, 
So if they repent, we're to forgive them. We're, we're, we're to open our hands. We're to act in grace. We're to release them. We're to set them free. We're to refuse to hold it over their heads. We're to refuse to establish a sin anniversary. We're to refuse to grip and embrace and nurture our hurt. We're to refuse to dream about vengeance. All of these things are, are significantly important for all of us in relationship to forgiveness. Can you forgive It's been an amazing thing for me to observe people who have gone through horrific situations, much worse than I've ever gone through, and, and, and see them with grace forgive. And I think, man, how in the world do they do that? It is only, it is only because they have chosen to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Now, this, the full circle of forgiveness absolutely works. It absolutely works. Leading to healed relationships and reconciliation. When (laughs) everyone cooperates. (laughs) When offense occurs, somebody's got to have the courage to rebuke. And then the person who is the offender needs to have the courage to repent. And then the other person has to have the courage to forgive. And when all of that is happening, reconciliation is the result of all of this. And, and, and relationships are restored. And by the way, there are some of you today that need to go home and go through this process. Maybe with your kids. Maybe with your spouse. But, but what happens when, when this process is blocked? <laughs> what happens? A uh, little bit of my story. My, my dad was an Assembly of God pastor, uh, anointed, gifted, musician, preacher, powerful preacher, died at 33. Uh, kidney failure, uh, long story, not going to tell this morning. Five years later, my mom remarries. I'm excited about having a new dad. Christian guy, prophetic, um, gifted, smart. Um, went to Simpson Bible College, was U.S. Marine. Uh, they get married. I'm really excited, but almost immediately, you know, I saw when I was nine years old, this is not pretty. He had a hidden area of his life, an area of anger. He became very abusive to my mom and to me, my sister, primarily to my mom and myself. And um, I had a lot of bitterness, a lot of anger a lot of hatred towards him. And that's what led me to the full circle of forgiveness, first of all. Okay? And, and by the way, I was already pastoring when all of this was happening, and God was just kind of peeling away some of the onion in my life. And, and, uh, uh, and so um, one day I, I felt like, you know, I, I need to go and confront Jack appropriately. So uh, I went to his house, and I, I said, I want to talk to you, but I want to talk to you in the garage, because I, I really didn't know what was going to happen. It's kind of one of those things. So, <clears throat> so we go out in the garage to have this conversation, and I began to tell him, boom, 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 not everything, but enough of what had happened when I was a kid. And I said, you know, Jack, if I would have had 
If I would have had a gun, I would have blown your head off. I, I thank God I didn't. And, and I, I was wrong for being so angry and hateful towards you. And, and I've had to repent from that. And I, I ask you to forgive me for this. But, but I, needed to, I needed to come clean with you on what happened. I needed to rebuke him. And he looked at me and he said, um, I don't know what you're talking about, Dave. He said, as far as I'm concerned, none of those things ever happened. And he walked out of the garage. And I thought, okay, I'm done. Done. I, I mean, already I wasn't allowing my kids to have a relationship with him because he really wasn't a safe place. But, but I thought, okay, God, I did what you want me to do. I'm finished. And then, and then God began to work on me after a time on the whole issue of extended forgiveness. You know, you know the accounts. Luke 23, Jesus, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You know, there, there's, there's this no repentance. There's this um, blindness to what they were, were, were doing, really. They didn't really comprehend what they were doing. Stephen, Acts chapter 7, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And I ran across Mark chapter 11 where it says, when you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone unconditionally. And there it is again, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you. This, this kind of forgiveness probably has little to no impact upon the guilty party. But it has tremendous impact upon you. Oh my goodness. Brings you into freedom. You are no longer held hostage by somebody else's wrong decisions, wrong actions. I can say that in the first person today. When we choose the opposite, when if I would have just chosen, okay, I'm just going to be bitter against him for the rest of my life. Bitterness, Hebrews 12, defiles many, causes us to fall short of the grace of God, defiles and spreads like fire, leads to a hardened heart. All that, none of that's good. None of that's good. You, you, this is not original with me. You've, you've probably heard this. Bitterness is a poison you drink thinking the other person will die. And I, I, mean, I mean, the reality... It just doesn't happen. It impacts us. It eats us alive. It, 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 it works in our life. So, so God led me, God led me actually to Matthew 5, 43 to 48, because I was at that point reading the New King James Version. Um, Luke chapter 6, verse 27, actually says the same thing in all translations. And basically what it is, is, is this. Love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who despitefully use you. So God began to lead me on a journey. Oh, good. I got 10 minutes. All right, we're good. All right, so, so God began to lead me on a journey on this. And the journey was difficult, and it was painful, <laughs> and it was hard, because I had to discover some things. I had to figure out what it meant to love my enemy. He was my enemy. How do I love him? What does it mean to love your enemy? Does it mean to go to Starbucks every other day with him? Does it mean you hang out with him? Does it mean that, that I bring my kids over and let him hang out with my kids? 
What does it mean to love your enemy? I didn't know. I, I had a hard time with that for a long time. I had a hard time figuring out what in the world, how in the world, what does it practically mean to love my enemy? Now, this is where I landed. It may not be the only answer, but it's the one I got, okay? And the answer was this. Loving Jack meant exchanging my anger and my hatred for compassion. Recognizing that he was in prison himself. Recognizing that he had issues that he had never dealt with. Maybe, maybe never could deal with. Maybe he didn't know what he was doing either. And over a period of time, God began to change Dave Ogren's heart. And by the way, you can't do the other things until you do this. Because you can't... Everything else, else is artificial until you begin to love your enemy. And then the Lord said, okay, now I want you to bless him with your mouth. I was pastoring by this time in Cloquet, Minnesota... God was blessing our ministry. Church was growing. It was wonderful. Church was about 500. Everything was going great. My mom had come out to visit. We were up at Two Harbors, sitting at a restaurant, having lunch together, just her and I. And we started talking about the good old days. And in the middle of it, the Holy Spirit just stopped me and said, I want you to quit talking about this. And, and I... I interrupted right in the middle of the conversation and said, I'm done. I'm not going to talk about this anymore. I'm not going to talk about how horrible it was <laughs> or all the difficulties that occurred. It's not helping the situation. And what I began to discover is that, is that words are extremely powerful. And they are literally, literally, when you rehearse with your mouth the bad junk that has happened in your life, it's like shooting up drugs. You feel it all over again. You, you feel hot. You feel justified. You feel like I have a right to feel this way because X, Y, Z happened. And it's not godly. Bless those who curse you. Thirdly, do good to those. That, that was really hard for me. Tangible acts of kindness. Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. And I felt that God was calling me to good works. And so I just, I didn't just do anything or, or lots and lots and lots. I waited till I really felt that God was, was giving me direction. David, I want you to do this. I want you to send him a birthday card. I want you to do this. I, I want you to go visit him, show him some kindness. Do good. You know, Romans chapter 2 talks about it's, it's the goodness of God that lead people to repentance. Goodness. And lastly, pray. Love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good, pray. I was praying for him. I was. Whatever it takes, God. Throw him in front of a bus, cancer. I'm not kidding you. 
I mean, I was praying for him. But I was praying, you know, the fire of God's judgment. <laughs> and God says to me, Dave, that, I don't want you praying that anymore. I want you to pray that I would bless him. I, I want you to pray that my grace would be poured out in his life. I want you to pray that the goodness of God would be manifested to him, that, that, that I would provide for him. And all oh, that was so hard. But you know, over a period of time, God helped me to begin to pray for him that way. And it was shortly after that Jack died. And I remember standing at his casket and looking at now his body and thinking, God, I am so grateful that you you walked me through this process before Jack died that I was able to experience the completeness of forgiveness. Even though he wasn't able to embrace it. You may be here today and you need the forgiveness of God. (laughs) Hey, guess what? It's available to you this morning. You may be here and, and you need to go through the full circle of forgiveness as, as we've expressed. And I want to encourage you to do that. You may be here this morning and, and maybe you've already done that and it hasn't worked. Well, God, God's leading you to the next level of Luke chapter 6 or Matthew chapter 5. Of loving your enemy and blessing those who curse you and doing good to those who hate you. Praying for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be like your father. This is, this is the way God is. I want you to bow your heads, and then Pastor Tom's going to come. I know this is Mission Sunday. This was not a missions message, and I'm a missionary. Isn't that stupid? <laughs> wow. And here we are. Bow your heads with me. I'm, I'm not going to ask anybody to stand, come forward, nothing. Nothing like that. But I want you to respond. If you're here today, and God has targeted you at some level, and you are saying to God, not to Dave Ogren, not to this church, you're saying to God, God, I get it. I hear it, and I'm going to respond to you. Would you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand. Yes, my goodness. Hands literally all over this house. Lord, right now, in the name of Jesus, I pray for the gift of grace, mercy, help, strength, encouragement, peace to people. God, sometimes our relationship gets so messed up. But God, thank you that you are the one, if we will only cooperate with you, that you will reconcile and restore and heal. And where that is not possible because people will not respond We can be free. We can be free. No longer manipulated by the past. By what others have done, what others have said. You can set us free. And Lord, we receive that in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. It is 10 to 10. Praise God. (laughs) 